Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Attention, attention. Oh, come on, it's not that hard. No, that's really noisy. That's it's not easy. I mean, easy. Yeah, that's, of course, Haitian Creole for Act uh, 2. But yeah. what relevance is this to a podcast about World War II? I hear cry. Well, didn't you know? Didn't you know? Hey, <laughs> didn't you know that after initially staying neutral, Haiti actually joined the conflict following the bombing of Pearl Harbor? Haiti declared war on Japan. I bet that put the willies up Japan. Yeah. Declared, declared war on Japan initially, then Germany and Italy four days later, then Bulgaria, Hungary, and Romania a couple of weeks later still. Only Romania bothered to declare war back. How insulting is that? That, is that really is, isn't it? That's incredibly terrible. insulting. Now, as ever, James Holland, historian extraordinaire, is with Stop me. Stop it. I and mean, we've got you in the country. You're not off in some sort of, um, you know, Nazi lair. <laughs> Actually, the other thing I've got to tell you about is Montiel Tutso. We'll do that another podcast. Yeah, another time. Though, but yeah, that yeah. was amazing. Yeah. That's on the gothic. Yeah, basically, I'm Tonto. He's the Lone Ranger. Imagine that, James. You stick your chest out, make the old radio announcement, put your serious voice on, and the enemy don't even bother to declare war back. It would do your head in, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. We declare war on you, Germany. Nah, not interested, mate. Yeah, sorry. Nein, nein, we're busy. <laughs> we have a bigger fish to fry, my friend. Oh, dear. The closer fish. I'm feeling a little bit offended on the part of the Haitians, I have to say. Yeah, Haitians, it's, it's Haitians. It's pretty bad. Now, what do you want to talk about, James? Because you're desperate to talk, you're burning to talk about something. Well, I am, actually, because it's, of course, it's the anniversary, 75th anniversary. It's a big year for 75th anniversaries, yeah. and this one, the death of Rommel. The death of Rommel? 14th October, 1944. By his own hand, of course. Murdered. I mean, they gave really. him the poison. Gave him the poison, but didn't <laughs> told give him, him much, to take it. Didn't give him much choice. No, no, give him much choice. So you know, they 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 turn up um, uh, the two generals, Meisel and oh, I've forgotten the name of the other one. Don't worry, um, Brunsdorf or something like that. Yep. Uh, and they turn up and say, you know, sorry, mate, this is this is this is a deal. You've um, you've either got to take your life now. Or we can put you on a on a trial, and you know your family will be stripped of everything. You will be found guilty, and that's that. And his wife comes in at that point, and he says to her, uh, "No point beating about the bush. Uh, I'm going to be dead in 15 minutes." And just says it to her straight. Says, says there is no choice. There's no way out of this. This is the only thing that's going to happen. And Manfred, who was actually back from back on leave at the time, he's uh, not very old at the time, but he's uh, um, he's there. Um, and he then repeats this to, to Manfred uh, and walks out of them. He's, and he puts on his... He's all, he knows they're coming and he knows it's yeah. one of two things. It's either the end or it's a command on the Eastern Front. Yeah. Uh, and he knows it's one of the two and he's pretty sure it's the former. And so he's prepared for it. So he puts on his Desert Africa Corps uniform with all the medals, all the ribbons, Blue Max, you know, yeah. everything, ready for them. And they take him out. There's a couple of other miners. There's a couple of SS guys there. And uh, they go out in the car and everyone else leaves the car uh, apart from him and this guy whose name I can't remember and um, he takes his arm and that's that you see Lucy Rommel is, he bursts into tears as he leaves and he basically just says this is it one last embrace with Manfred and Lucy and that's that you see it's the most extraordinary story isn't it because, it really is because he is at one point and the Allies kind of help with this a little he becomes this absolute poster boy for german uh, 
brilliant German German generalship, yeah. I think, is the way of looking at it. Right, not brilliant German st- strategic because they never they never get anything. Yeah, right and operationally, he's really dodgy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's a great tactical yeah, general. He's a brilliant tactical general, and and he becomes the byword for sort of dash and vim and yep. German vigor and improvisation and yeah, yeah, and all, all those all those sort of things and tactical chutzpah. Yeah, all of that, and yet. And by this point, he's been severely injured in Normandy, isn't he? So he's, he's not, yeah, he's not himself. July. He's not. He's not well. Is he? he's not been well, well for a long this time. This is okay. So right. this is the really interesting yeah. nub of the whole thing. So the big thing is 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 kind of how much is he implicated into the into the the Stauffenberg plot, which is the plot on the twentieth of July where Stauffenberg goes into the Wolf's Lair, puts the suitcase under the table, blast goes off, <coughs> Hitler's wounded but not not assassinated. And his eardrums blown out. Eardrums blown his out. His trousers just, torn off. Yes. Yeah. But 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 he's not killed, and, and it's sort of a miracle, really. Depending on your point of view, James. <laughs> well, it's still a miracle. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's a, yes, yes, it's a miracle if you're Hitler. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's a miracle, but it's bad. But, you know, it's, it's a, a bad, bad miracle. miracle. Right. Okay. Yeah, it's a very bad miracle. Okay. But it's a miracle that's the that title of this episode: the bad, bad miracle. miracle. Yeah, that's a good title actually. I quite like that. <laughs> But, but anyway, so, so then, of course, there is the fallout of this. And you have to remember, by this point, of course, you know, everything's closing in on the Third Reich. It's all going yeah. to be a pear-shaped for, for, for Hitler and his thousand-year Reich. Yeah. Um, two days time, before, he's not very well. Two days before Goodwood, isn't it? It's two days after. No, it's two days after, yes. Yes, uh, yeah, 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 sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, every, and you also have to remember that Hitler is not a well man. Um, he's taking this incredible cocktail of drugs every day, yeah. thanks to Dr. Morell. Yeah. You know, levels of paranoia, which were already quite high, just go off the radar yeah. post the plot. Well, and your casualty figures at this point, if you're OKW or OKH, you're getting casualty figures of, I don't know, 300,000 men a month? Yeah. From the Eastern Front. It's just, like, just terrific. Absolutely dark. There's no, yeah. way you could, there's no way you get that butcher's bill and go, oh, everything's going to be all right. But... Heads have to have to fall quite literally because of this, and and so they do, and everyone starts pointing the finger, and um, two people in the West that are key to this uh, are General Stupnagel, who is the uh, um, governor of Paris, um, and his Luftwaffe aide, who's a guy called von Hofsecker. Yeah, uh, and von Hofs- uh, Stupnagel is, is very quickly found guilty, and and. That, that's him. He's toast. Yeah. But but uh, von Hofstadter is is kept alive for quite a long time, and it is only in August that he mentions Rommel's name. Right. And, and what is absolutely not clear is how much this has been kind of sort of forced out of him, or he's just sort of. I mean, he bandies about. What is also clear is he bandies about lots of names, including von Kluger, who yeah. is taken over from von Brunstedt and, and, and Rommel is overall in charge, and and um, it's clear that no one really puts much weight on this at all. Yeah. And Hitler is given the transcript of von Hofsecker's latest interrogations and doesn't really bat an eye. Yeah. And he says, well, you know, Rommel's got a bit defeatist. Um, and, and the intention is that everyone knows that Rommel's, Rommel is still recovering from his incredibly serious yeah. injury, uh, which, which happens to him on the 17th of July when he's shot up by these Canadian yeah. Spitfires. And, and, it, and, you know, the, the car is run off the road and all the rest of it. And he's in a really bad state. He's, I think he's in a coma for kind of yeah. four days or something. Yeah. You know, he, he's not, first of all, he's not expected to live. And then once he is alive, he's not expected to ever return to full health. And so the plan for Hitler, even in this sort of increasing atmosphere of paranoia is that they're just going to kind of pension him off yeah you know he'll just be retired and kind yeah. of sit around and yeah. not do anything and not bother anything the problem is is that rommel recovers too well 
And by September, he's actually making a really good recovery. He's in reasonably sound health. Uh, and, and back at the kind of wolf's lair where this mounting paranoia is going, yep. they suddenly think, oh, a kind of rehabilitated Rommel, you know, is just, you know, he's always been outspoken. He's always set his mind to Hitler, yeah. more so than the vast majority of other of his field marshals. And he could be this kind of sort of um, focus point, this magnet for disaffected Wehrmacht officers and commanders, Mm. senior commanders, and they don't want that. So suddenly the tone changes, and by the end of September, it's kind of the kind of die has been cast. That actually, rather than just pension off Rommel, let's not take that risk. Let's just get rid of him. Right. And and Spidel, who is his chief of staff. Yeah. Uh, uh, Max Spidel, he is he is arrested and interrogated and put through the kind of people's court and all the rest on a court rather mm. uh, uh, and put on trial, and he is not acquitted, but they find not substantial evidence to suggest that he was involved. And the truth <laughs> of the matter is, he wasn't really involved. No, he was he was against the regime and he was sort of mildly plotting, but he wasn't part of the Stauffenberg Stauffenberg plot. And there's actually evidence of this because on the 20th of July, you know, Rommel's been wounded for three days, uh, four days rather. Yeah. Uh, um, he gets the signal that Hitler has been assassinated from the, right. you know... From the Home Army. From the, it's home the Home Army, Army isn't it, in it, Berlin? It, the yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, He gets the signal. And had, had he been in, intimately involved, you would have expected him to have then put into action all the plans... Yeah that would be instigated by that news. Yeah. And he does absolutely nothing. No. Which suggests to me that he was really not involved at all. What then happens is he does survive the war. Um, and post-war, he becomes a Bundeswehr general. And he is very... And he writes his own memoirs. And they're incredibly self-serving. And he puts himself absolutely kind of intricately involved in the plot and all the rest of it. And brings in Rommel. Which is where this whole thing, you know, Rommel was plotting, you know, was sort of slightly involved in it. What is absolutely clear is that, that, that Rommel and his senior commanders, which include mostly SS commanders by middle of July, yeah. second week of July. So we're talking about Bittrick, yep. SS2 Corps from, from Arnhem, yeah. but he's there in Normandy. We're yeah. talking about Eberbach, who is, yeah. is Wehrmacht, but has taken over for, as a 5th um, Panzer Army, Panzer Group West. Yeah. Um, we're talking about um, Sepp Dietrich. Yeah. You know, I mean, these sort of people—they're well, all having—they're all going. This is absolutely well, they're all very ridiculous. They're all very, very sober in their assessment of Germany. They're very, very sober. Pos- in it. Pos- yeah. pos- and you, you do, you do have from Normandy permanent feedback to to Hitler going, uh, withdraw, make peace, you fools. After all, is the, the most famous uh, uh, expression of it, isn't it? You yes. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, absolutely. And, 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 you know, because you look at that situation, there's no other way of there's no other way. Of, yeah. So of, what they're thinking, so, so there is no question at all. And actually, um, Panzer Mayer, Kurt Mayer, yeah, um, who is the 12th SS um, Panzer Division Commander, he has a meeting with Dietrich and um, Bittrich and Eberbach on the 17th of July. And when he arrives, they're all just going, this is a we're, we're done for. We're absolutely yeah. done for. You know, Hitler's lost his marbles. You know, and he can't believe it because you know. He's a, he's a no, but he, even he says, you know. But I have to admit, you know, yeah. the, 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 it's crazy. The tactics here have been absolutely awful. You know, the powers that be. He doesn't sort of specifically blame Hitler. No, but, of course but, not. They but, never but do. He but he goes, you know, the conduct of the war is not going well, and all the rest of it. Uh, and Rommel then turns up, uh, and Rommel and and, and Panzermeyer says to, to Rommel, you know, well, where, where's the Luftwaffe? And he goes, don't you freaking talk to me about the Luftwaffe? You know, what do you think I've been doing? You know, trying to get all this stuff. I mean, he's absolutely livid. 
and it's absolutely clear that conversations have been had mm. about throwing in the towel in the West and going, okay. And, and, and what is not known is just how advanced they were. You know, had Rommel survived another three days, would they have kind of done it? You know, I don't know. I suspect that the, the, the assassination attempt, had they not done it before the 20th, might have stopped them in their tracks. Yeah. Actually. Well, yes. It's because, a quite, it's quite well, 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 because, because it's very clear that the, 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 the Stauffenberg, the assassination attempt, Changes quite radically um, the, how the how the regime operates its grip. Yes, um, uh, uh, is then able to is then able to operate its grip and and, and mobilize mobilize the regime's main actors, isn't it? So you, 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 the crackdown really goes on, and in, in lots of ways, the thing that prevents the, the, the a German collapse is yes. the assassination attempt. Yeah. Um, but the, the other, the, but the, the other they're thing, they're galvanized. Yes. They're completely galvanized by it. The, uh, uh, but it's also really clear that. Rommel never sees assassinating Hitler as the answer. No. He sees bringing down the regime, but that doesn't mean assassinating Hitler. And, and it goes completely against the code of, of honour of an officer that mm. that is how you behave. That's not how... Because it... after all, Stauffenberg's shopping list is... is um, uh, I mean, yes, he does try to assassinate Hitler, but, but what he wants is the, the war to continue against Russia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brest-Litovsk, um, yeah. Uh, so First World War, war um, territorial war, war gains and aims. Um, uh Oh, 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 yes, oh, and he's also and he's quite a, happy to put up German, with all the kind of ills of the Nazi he's regime. He's a German nationalist. Just, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. So just while the ills of the Nazi regime are, uh, you know, they're completely swept under the carpet while Germany's doing well. It's only when he feels that the war is being lost yeah. and badly managed that he goes, OK, well, the only way to get around yeah. it. It's not like he's this kind of sort of he wants to save the Jews or anything. Um, really. But, so, well, so, but, but Rommel, it is interesting that, 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 that because Rommel is a big figure at this point, that the, the regime's confident enough to, to off him uh, is is it, it, it or feels it needs to yeah. is is really interesting. He's such a big, you know, he's become such a big figure that that they feel they like you say they need to get rid of him so he can't become an object of focus. Uh, yes, in a counter regime uh, 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 situation. So the, the tragedy for Rommel is because he gets well better than he should have done. He was anticipated he would. He has to pay with, pay with it with his life. But but. It is really interesting about Rommel because Rommel is also a real up and down kind of guy. You know, yeah. one minute he's kind of all excited and pumped, and you know, I love the Führer. Childcare in the room next door, by the way, yeah, dear yeah, listener, yeah. you may have noticed regeneration. Yeah, really, yeah exactly. <laughs> but, but 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 you know, other times he's really down on it, and, yeah. and there is this moment which he records uh, and says to his his family that Hitler says to him in. July 1943, Hitler says, you know, uh, um, you know, if the German people are incapable of winning the war, they can rot. Yeah. And, and Rommel is completely rocked by this because for him, the head of state is about protecting Germany. Yeah. And, and the, German, the German people and the German state is above the head of state. Yeah. The head of state needs to be obeyed, but he is still a servant of the people yeah. rather than this kind of... And what he fears is that, that Hitler is turned into, it's just about kind of, you know, it's all about him now yeah. rather than the German people. Yeah. Well, that's his last will and testament in 1945. He says yes. that basically the Germans have, I gave them an opportunity to shine and they didn't take uh, it. Yeah, they didn't. They've let themselves they down. Yeah. Right, well, we're going to take a short break now um, uh, while rusks are handed out in the room next door. Uh, <laughs> we'll see you in a moment. <laughs> Yeah. 
I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Caddy Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, Was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people (laughs) will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii, okay? And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy, and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to uh, part two of this week's We Have Ways. Um, we're talking about Rommel, aren't we, yeah, James? Yeah, we were going to just go straight into questions, weren't we? We got so stuck in on Rommel. But I'm feeling so impassioned by it. Well, because it's... It, it, I mean, in a way, I mean... Uh, one, of the things, one of the things that's characteristic amongst a lot of German uh, uh, officers, high-ranking officers, is that while the war's going well, they're really into it. Um, there's an op- opportunity for glory, for reputation, for all that sort of thing, and for Germany, for Germany's glory, and as they saw it. Yes. So they turn a blind eye to, to the bad stuff. Yes. And when it starts going wrong, they 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 very much change their attitude. And 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 Rommel's, Rommel's is guilty of this. We said Stauffenberg was guilty of that earlier. Rommel's is guilty of this as anyone else, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. And I think I think, but but I think. You know, Rob, I think if you'd met Rommel, you would think he was a good bloke. I mean, you know, <laughs> even though... I mean, you know, there's lots and lots of episodes of him being really courteous and honourable and treating POWs so well. What's his, and, so so he, made know, his, he made a name... And those his, commandos get caught, don't they? Yeah. They get brought to him at La Roche-Guillaume when he's, yeah. when he's commander of Army Group B. Just, but I, think in May, I think it's in May 1944. Yeah. And, it, and one of them gets captured and brought towards him. And he has a quite a rational conversation. Yeah. There's none of the kind of commando order of, of Hitler no. um, put, put to this guy. You know, he makes sure that this guy gets sent as a prisoner of war and not yeah. executed. Yeah. So, you know, he's sort of okay and... and you know, but, he's ne- but he's never been compromised because he never fights on the Eastern but, Front. But the thing so he is, never gets put in that situation. So, so, so for those who don't know, who is he? Where's he from? What's his? What's what's the? Well, he's not Prussian elite, so he's not the aristocratic army right. elite. But he's he's done very well in the First World War. He's won a, in Italy, a, yeah, in Italy, normal Italy. Well, he's, yeah, he's been elsewhere as well. But he, Italy's where he wears wins the blue max, the Paul yeah. Americ, which is yeah. the the kind of sort of equivalent of the VC. 
in, in the First World War German terms, in the Imperial German times. And in between the war, he stays in the army, um, writes, a, writes a, a treatise on infantry attacks, and very much into this kind of sort of stormtrooper idea. Yeah. That, you know, idea that you don't worry about your flanks, you just kind of bulldoze your way through and just yeah. keep going. And you have this spearhead, which is kind of better than everybody else, and you just go for it. And of course, once once uh, sort of panzer warfare becomes a kind of, we- a, a kind of viable... He transfers that. He panzer transfers way. over, but he, but he only transfers to um, 7th Panzer Division quite late. Yeah. Um, I don't think until February 1940. Because up until then he's in, he's the kind of Wehrmacht guard of Hitler, yeah, um, not the SS obviously. Um, but he's a real convert to that, and, and obviously does incredibly well in 1940. Yeah, yeah, you know he shows all the kind of vim and flair that kind of Guderian is really the kind of the kind of he's uh, the poster the, the, boy the for the poster of, boy for Blitzkrieg. The yeah, he is. He's only kind of 48 or something in 1940, yeah. so he's still quite young. He's very dashing, um, and and they kind of sort of get further than anyone else. In, yeah. in a quicker, the quickest time um, in that Blitzkrieg. And he really earns his spurs there. And then he gets, you know, makes his name in North Africa when, you know, the Italians have done terribly and the British have absolutely cleaned him up. And suddenly Rommel turns up and everything's changed. But actually, there's huge alarms at the time because, you know, he goes completely against his orders, which are to just kind of sort of hold the line, build up strength, make sure the Brits don't get any further. And he goes, oh, sort of that, and just goes dashing off across the desert. Yeah. And he does have lots of reverses. And what's absolutely clear that, that, Really, his his kind of his pay grade peaks at kind of division, but certainly core level is probably yeah you know army level and being a field marshal is not really his bag, you know because he doesn't understand that operational level. He's always he's forever letting his supply lines overreach themselves, yeah. and he he does it you know that's that's in, what he chase does him to Brook. He does it again. He does um, it without fail in North Africa, actually, doesn't he? And he basically puts himself in the puts himself in a series of essentially untenable situations. Yes. Um, that eventually bite him on the arse yeah. completely. Uh, and he does it again, you know, famously with the with the, the defeat of the US two corps at Kasserine yeah. Pass, which yeah. is not that big a deal in the big scheme of things. He then wants to go all the way on into Algiers and it's absolutely bonkers. Um, and his superior says absolutely no, he's von Arman at the time says, you know, no way, you know, yeah. that's just absolutely not gonna happen. Um, and he's really disgusted and pissed off and stuff. But actually it's completely the right decision. Yeah. So so there is this kind of sense that you know, he's a bit hot and cold, that, that he's a great tactical commander, but not a very good operational commander. But he's a remarkable man, and, yeah. and, and I think it's really a bit... And, and, you know, he stands by the courage of his convictions. And what is really interesting is that post his wounding, you know, he's very much in a black, black hole again. Yeah. You know, things, he's an up-and-down kind of guy. You know, he does reach these kind of pits of despair. He doesn't have a lot of friends. He's a bit of a loner, actually. Right. Um, those friends he does have, he's completely dependent on. Um, Max Spidel, who takes over from, from uh, um, Gauzer as his, his chief of staff. Gauzer was his chief of staff in North Africa. Joins him again to start off with in, in Normandy. Gauzer falls out and make, makes a comment to Lucy. And it's kind of Lucy Rommel, who's Rommel's yeah. wife of, of kind of 33 years. Uh, 28 years, and no, you know, they've been together for 33 yeah. years. Um, and, and he's sort of sent off very quickly, and that's the end of the relationship. And, and Spidel comes in, and Spidel is, a complete, you know, is comparatively new to Rommel. Um, and it's very clear that post the wounding, already before the wounding, he's lost all kind of hope. Yeah. And he's also lost hope in Hitler. Yeah. You know, Hitler briefly kind of re-sort re of kindles his spark in May 1944 before the invasion. He thinks, oh, yeah, you know, Hitler does get it. It's going to be okay. Um, but then loses it again when, when Hitler just refuses to budge, this sort of nonsensical idea of not retreating, yeah. having to fight for every yard. He really thinks that is not to the benefit of the German army forces, yeah. not to the benefit of the German people. And he starts becoming really, really disillusioned. 
afterwards, as he's recovering, he starts to be quite outspoken again. You know, he's always very outspoken yeah. to Hitler, but he can't see Hitler now. So he's still outspoken. And, and there's this amazing line that he says to Manfred. Manfred's home a little bit in the summer of 1944. And he says, you know, and, and Rommel says to Manfred, the attempt on Hitler was stupid. What we had to fear with this man was not his deeds, but the aura which surrounded him in the eyes of the German people. And that's what he's trying yeah. to combat. And he has several warnings uh, um, from people that come and visit him. Um, Who come and say, what you're saying? Yeah, and there's this guy called, uh, this guy called Karl... Um, Strolin, who who comes up to see him, who is implicated in the Stauffenberg plot, but Rommel doesn't know this, and mm. he manages to get away with it. He's not, he's never implicated. He, but he, but he is involved in it, or has been involved. In yeah. It. Uh, and he visits um, Rommel at home and sees a pistol on his on his desk. Um, and Rommel says, to, and he says, "Why have you got the pistol on your desk?" He says, "Well, I certainly don't fear the Americans. I don't fear the English. People I have to fear are the Russians." And then he says, "And the Germans." Yeah, I mean, it's quite, quite hard-hitting stuff. Yeah. And another guy, a local, sort of, um, a local SS official called Meyer, um, comes and visits him and says, look, mate, you know, you've really got to rein it in, all this kind of, you know, defeatist chat. You know, he says, you can't start saying we're not going to win the war. And he goes, of course we're going to bloody lose the war. Yeah. You know, we haven't got a hope. It's absolutely <laughs> gone to pot. Uh, and, and Meyer says to him, look, you really, mate, you know, rein it in. But that's the, but that is the I mean interestingly that is the most extraordinary thing that uh, uh, even in April 1945 there are Germans who think they're going to win. Yep. Even though what is there to win? And you look at Nothing. you look at you look at um, Dönitz's Reich uh, in 1945 the the tiny sliver of Germany that he's left with and, and the and the bit down bit down in Bavaria or whatever. Yeah. What were they what were they thinking that they could possibly fight back from that. It's the most extraordinary thing, the spell that's cast. Yeah. And clearly Rommel wasn't susceptible to the spell at the end and went, and they were worried he might break it. That's it. So it's, it's, it's this combination. What, what does for him? I mean, he is, he is a fool. I mean, yeah. you know, what does for him is getting better quicker than he's expected and, this, yeah. this, and growing paranoia at the, at the heart of the, of, of the Third Reich in Hitler's yeah. bubble. That, that he's going to become a magnet for further, you know, further insurrection and trouble. Yeah. And secondly, the fact that he's openly mouthing this to anyone who will listen. Hmm. Uh, and what's also interesting is, is before they come, he's, he's told that these two generals are going to come on the 14th of October. And, and he says to Manfred, you know, it's one of two things. And Manfred says to him, so if they offer you a command on the Eastern Front, will you take it? And he goes, of course I'll take it. He said, we have nothing more, you know, the most, the greatest thing we have to fear is the Russians. He said, can you imagine if the Russians take over Germany or even part of Europe, what a catastrophe that'll be. That'll just completely throw all our lives and everything you know into complete mayhem. Yeah. So he says, regardless of what Hitler says, I would take that command because they they have to be stopped. He was right, I suppose, but they shouldn't have started it. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely right. And you can't argue with that. But, it's, but there's another thing is that the Americans did this kind of very detailed sort of post-war study mm. of um, uh, of commanders. And also that our good friend Cornelius Ryan was going yeah. around interviewing people as well post-war. And they did do interviews with um, with Max Speidel and, and various people that were in Rommel's circle and people who served with him. Yeah. Fritz Beierlein, of course, who was commander yeah. of the Panzer Day, who was chief of staff of the Africa Corps and all the rest of it before that. Um, and, and Cornelius Ryan's guys got in touch with Lucy Rommel and they interview her at home. In 1958, in the evening, one evening, uh, and they talked to her and Manfred, um, who's now a grown-up, yeah. and all the rest of it. 
And it's really interesting because they've moved from their, the family home that they had in Helligan and they're now somewhere else. I think they're actually in Ulm. Um, and there's a, the, the room where they conduct the interview is basically sort of the homage to Rommel room. So there's portraits of him on the wall. There's the map that he had in North Africa on the wall in a frame. Yeah. So he's at a North Africa map. Um, there's various sort of photos of dignitaries, lots of photos of Rommel all over the place, some in colour, some in black and white. Yeah. There's, um, and there's a chair, and, and the chair's got a bullet hole nick in it. And this was Rommel's chair at his, you know, his CP, his command post, tactical headquarters in North Africa. And it's a bullet hole from an from a Allied RAF fighter plane that strafed the position. And apparently while he was sitting in it. Dear God. Yeah, because he had. He, it's an amazing he, picture. He kind of had nine lives, didn't he? Because Arras, he was um, the Arras yeah. counterattack. He was very nearly, very nearly uh, killed, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all the men sort of go, "Is Rommel invincible?" Yeah. You know. Well, no. Amazing is no stuff. is the answer to that question. <laughs> so, it's, it's, so you know, the interesting thing about his death is, is it, it, <laughs> it didn't have to be that way. You know, it, 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 circumstances could have been different. And I'm not just talking about the assassination of, yeah. of you know. I mean, he almost wasn't. Yeah, assassinated, but he was. Well, there we go. But it's, it's sort of sad, isn't it? It's sad. I mean, you know, you have to sort of remind yourself of who he was and the fact he was fighting for the Third Reich and all the rest of it. Yeah, that's, that's, but, what, but, that's but, just what I was going to do, James. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but, but there is something about, you know, and I, I don't think he was, I think he's being sort of, I think he's being put on a pedestal that he doesn't deserve. But he is such an important figure in the narrative of World War II, well, particularly in Western Ireland. And it's a fascinating story, isn't it? Because Because... You, you, in a way, his story is the arc of what happens to yes to to, to German command. In a way, they 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 figure all this new stuff out, or it's not new. Or they figure out a way of doing things that catches everyone out. They have great success with it. Then they overreach. Then they realise. Then disillusion creeps in, and then they realise their numbers up. But what yeah. do you actually do about that? And in in late 1944, what can you actually do to persuade the regime that? Um, the game's up and the answer is nothing yep simple as that yep. but right. it's just a sort of it's just such a grotesque end isn't it yeah. I think that's the other thing yeah. Yeah. right so um, dear James and Al Adam Goldberg writes I'm really enjoying the podcast obviously and obligatorily um, I've recently <laughs> finished watching a TV adaptation of Catch-22 one of my favourite novels lots to quibble with but I think they've done a decent job of filming the unfilmable Yossarian seems to think what they're doing is largely futile but presumably the US air campaign in Italy was significant and important um this, and he asks another question. Let's just touch on that. Um, the the air, air campaign in Italy is incredibly significant, important. Yeah, it is. And it, it really it, is. It, 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 it's, and it's how the Allies are, are doing their fighting, after all. Is, is the, is the, is it's in 3D, isn't it? You've got yeah. air power, so you use it, and you, you are attacking bridges. Because in the, in the programme, the, the, they're, they're there's a bridge in Bologna that he doesn't want... There's a flight over Bologna he doesn't want to do. They, and Sarian moves the bomb line on the map so he doesn't have to bomb Bologna but they're bombing factories and they're bombing yeah and they're also particularly bombing the Brenner Pass as well which is the kind of one route really through from Germany and Austria well from the Reich into 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 northern Italy then the big marshalling hub is Verona so they're pummeling Verona marshalling yards a a fair amount but you know there's a huge number of 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 anti-aircraft guns yeah Along the Brenner Pass, I think there's something like sort of 1,500 anti-aircraft guns in northern Italy, and a large proportion of those are in the Brenner Pass, this mountain pass going into the Tyrol. 
Um, and, you know, it's, it, it is really, really dangerous going over there because of the narrowness of the valley and because of the density of the mm. anti-aircraft guns. But, you know, from between, I think, the autumn of 1944 to the spring of 1945, the number of trains passing through the Brenner Pass goes down from something like 38 to 8 a day. Yeah. And that is because of the Allied bombing campaign. And don't forget, they're, they're not just going there. And don't forget, of course, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's Allied bombers that go and offer some relief to the insurgents in, in, in Warsaw, the Freedom Fighters' resistance in Warsaw in August 1944. Um, you know, they are tightening the, loo- the noose around Germany. We were talking about it earlier on. You know, this is the Foggier Airfields. This is the 15th Air Force that we're talking about. And the large number of aircraft means that you have fewer men on the ground throwing themselves into the front line. And, and it is absolutely a lifesaver in the big scheme of things. You know, it doesn't seem that way to Yazarian. <laughs> no, of course not. No, no, because he sat uh, in front or, of the Joseph Heller, who was there at exactly. the time for real. So the second question, or the supplementary question, more generally, Catch-22 raises the issue of continuing to motivate military personnel to continue to risk their lives even after overall victory looks inevitable. Thinking in particular of the lines below, was this an issue? I think you've touched on the Allied approach to morale before, but was it a particular issue close to the end of the war? Yes, it was. Massive issue. I yeah, mean, massively in Italy, particularly. Yeah. Tension off, you know, secondary theatre... Yep. D-Day Dodgers, as they're known. Yep. And they're thinking, Jesus, you know, I've just slogged across North Africa. I've slogged through Sicily. I've slogged up to this absolutely miserable, godforsaken country with all its mountains and mud and mayhem. And we're going to win anyway. I've done my bit. Why should I carry on? And, and the number of desertions in the Allied armies in Italy is absolutely legion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I interviewed, a long time ago, interviewed some Red Army soldiers about the fighting in Berlin. And uh, and luckily they were being pretty candid, and they were they were basically saying you knew if you're fighting street fighting in Berlin in 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 April 1945, you knew the war was about to end, so you wouldn't take any unnecessary risks. You'd maybe hear someone in the building next door, and you'd think, should we go after them? I don't know. Shall we? I don't know if I can be bothered. Yeah. We'll call up a, we'll call up the tank, or we'll get an artillery piece to do it for us. Because if I have to go through that door, I might die, and it's the end of the war. Yeah. And what's the point? And 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 yet the the Casualties in oh, yeah, that yeah, final even, offensive even, is legion. Even, even then, the casualty, the, the, the yeah, the butcher's bill for Berlin is ridiculous. It's absurd. Yeah. But to hear that from you know, so it, across the board, it's a problem. And in fact, you know, um, to go back to Arnhem, some of the accounts in Arnhem, you've got people going, "Well, I thought the war was ending. I'm not going to. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm not going to risk my life." And no. you do have, you know, which isn't to besmirch. The, the, the people no. who fought excellently in my reputation. Exactly. In fact, I can see myself entirely going, you know what, sod this, no point being a hero. The war's over. The war's about to end. Why die in the, why die in the last days of the war? And, yeah, I and, think what, a much more interesting question is why do people keep fighting when that is the case rather yeah. than, you know, how many do they... Yeah, how and, many and you look at the conduct of the, of, the, the, of, of the campaign in, in, in northern Germany by the Second Army Group and you've got that thing of... You send someone forward under a white flag to a town, and you say, "Are you going to surrender?" And if the if the if they kick up any trouble at all, you flatten the town from a distance, and then you go and take it. and And that's how that campaign rolls on because people are simply not prepared to risk their lives because they know the war's over, yeah. and they're mystified by the Germans who are still fighting. Um, fascinating. Anyway, well, that's it for this week. Thanks for joining us. And do remember, we're currently releasing episodes twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. So keep an eye or indeed an ear out for that. Yes, and welcome to any new listeners. Um, lovely to have so many new subscribers joining us post on. And thank Especially you for that. helping us pay that bus lane fine. <laughs> yeah, all right. You just have to bring it up again, don't you? 
Thanks a lot. Uh, Anyway, please do get in touch. We love your questions and observations, and yes, even your corrections. We love your corrections. But we're not interested in hearing about General Gavin being a good bloke. and and No, no. Actually, it was all Browning's fault. Okay, we've moved on from that. We've moved on from that. We're we're very much in the R.G. Poulison camp. (laughs) Anyway, on Twitter, use the hashtag WeHaveWays, and email us um, if you're old or young, or even middle-aged, um, using <laughs> we have ways podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Cheerio for now. Make sure you do that, Grandpa. Alfie <laughs> Zane and Adio. <laughs>